0: Hello, it's Andrew here, and we're going to look at um, James' letter, Faith at Works, Bible study number eight, um, podcast number eight. Um, Thank you for listening in. Um, First of all, we're going to read the passage, James chapter 5, verse number 1 to 11, and we'll commend ourselves to the Lord. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We know the Lord blesses the reading of his word to us. Um, shall we commend ourselves to the Lord in prayer? Father, help us as we look into thy word together. Help us to be blessed by it. And um, We think of this passage in James that perhaps is less frequently turned to. And we pray, our Father, that as we look at it uh, together, that each one of us might receive a blessing at this time in the Lord's name. Amen. <clears throat> so last evening we were looking at uh, this interesting subject of reacting to injustice. Um, James is going to deal with the whole subject of um, poor Christians, particularly Christians, who are suffering uh, in a terrible way from the hands of rich uh, landowners who also uh, own the courts. They manipulated the circumstances and it tells us in verse 6 they condemned, they kill the just and he does not resist you. So, really, what we have here in this section from verse 1 to 11 are two paragraphs. Verse 1 to 6, where James addresses the rich people who clearly are unbelievers and very wicked. Um, and then we have verse number 7 to 11, where he addresses the suffering and persecuted believers. I, I put in the handout that this is the obvious way in which the address uh, reads. However, um, actually James' audience throughout the book has mainly been the believers from the tribes of the dispersion, i.e. Christians, who have been saved from a Jewish background. So um, what he is doing here is is a rhetorical thing which is known as um, apostrophe. Um, he's addressing these rich men directly by turning away from the real audience, the Christians. And, and really what he's doing is he's teaching the real audience, the Christians, something while he does it he is not in a sense speaking to the rich men but to the Christians so that they might have a right perspective of these people that they might not envy them that they might uh, have a right attitude with regard to them so it's important that we see that it helps us to understand what's really happening here you read down the chapter and you feel that you've just dropped into the middle of one of the Uh, great Old Testament uh, prophets such as Isaiah or Amos or or Malachi, where there's this uh, clear cry against the injustice and um, immorality and business practice that that was seen in those days. And we can see the very same thing here when James is speaking. So anyway, we've covered so much in James, um, but now we're going to look at the whole subject of Uh, worldly wealth from this particular vantage point of reacting to injustice and these are particular rich people you know the word of god makes it very clear that there are some who are rich and and paul says in first timothy uh, chapter six to charge those that are, are rich uh to be um mindful uh not to be uh mindful of uncertain riches, not to be trusting in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives to uh, all men richly to enjoy and so on. So First Timothy chapter 6 is a very interesting passage to read alongside this passage. And then, of course, you remember the words of the Lord Jesus, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And there's that focus of not serving Mammon, not serving money, uh, because you can only have one master and that is God who is in heaven. So keeping all those things in mind and many other things that we'll mention in the way through, let's look at the passage before us um, today. You'll notice in the two paragraphs that I've broken them down, verse number 1 to 6, verse 7 to 11, under these two titles. First of all, we have the denunciation. And then we have the exhortation. The denunciation is miseries pronounced on the murderous rich and their unbelievers, verse 1 to 6. The exhortation is patience exhorted to persecuted poor. And they're mainly, well, they are believers in this context. So that's more or less the two sections we'll look at for a few minutes together. Look at verse number one. Come now, you rich, weep and Howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now, what James is doing here is he is showing these Christians that the external that they see, the the prosperity of the wicked, to use the the words of Psalm uh, 73, the prosperity of the wicked is not a real thing. There is a coming day of recompense. Their miseries are coming upon them in that sense. It's important we understand this because as Christians even, or as as the people of God in a more general way, if you're including Old Testament believers, um, as, as Christians we can have a wrong perspective of those who are doing well and prospering around us. Um, these rich people were owning everything. They were running the courts. They were... Uh, getting away with sinning in a high-handed manner. Uh, they were marked by a self-indulgent lifestyle. We'll see all that in a minute. Um, but James, as he speaks to them, he says they really should be weeping and howling and lamenting. They should be really at a, an Eastern funeral, as it was pointed out last evening when we were discussing this. They 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 should be They should be realising the awful danger that they're in and the awful dread judgment that lies before them. I wonder if we actually thought this through, you know. Sometimes we we can become so immersed in our own culture that that we think the way the people do around us. If we really thought that all those who are wealthy and have got their wealth in a dishonest way and and are marked by immorality and um indulgence and injustice and all these kind of things, if we were to think the way God thinks, we would be calling upon them, in that sense, to be weeping and howling because there's an awful end in view uh, for those who are marked by this independence of God and this um, injustice. you remember um, Luke chapter 12, although the man wasn't unjust necessarily there, you remember the, the rich farmer, um, remember the rebuke that came to him now full Um, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And who shall these things be um, uh, of which thou hast provided? And so, as we have in in Luke's Gospel, so often a a kind of contrast with the poor. And the Jewish background, which, um, which had a kind of high view of people with wealth, as though they are the ones who are blessed by God. You remember the disciples when the Lord said, how hardly shall those that have riches enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Um, and the disciples were astonished. And they said, who then can be saved? They thought that the people who were wealthy uh, were were obviously blessed by God in some way. And the Lord Jesus had to turn that notion on its head and show that there's a great distinction between this side and the other side, as we see in Luke 16 and in different passages but let's turn for a second to Psalm 73 you'll remember that occasion in the Psalms when when Asaph is speaking and he says truly God is good to Israel to such you of a pure heart and then he goes down and he speaks through his experience but as for me my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped why was that Asaph I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked there's no pangs in their death Their strength is firm. They're not in any trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. Pride serves their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongues walk through the earth. And so on. You can see what he's saying. He's, he's looking at these wicked people. And it seems they're getting away with everything. And they're doing everything they want. And they're even saying, verse number 11. How does God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? These are ungodly. He understands that. And as he thinks about this. And his mind dwells on it. He's getting more and more down. He says in verse 16. When I thought I understood this. It was too painful for me. And then he says until. I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Now that's a thing to keep in mind, brethren and sisters, that when we're looking at those who are wealthy and who've got their wealth in a dishonest way and and seem to be living it up in this world and they seem to have everything and and they're they're perhaps crushing and oppressing those around, that's maybe not as obvious in our culture as it is in other cultures around the world. But when we're looking at people such as that, just remember... Their end, surely you have set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction, they are brought to desolation as in a moment, and so on, and yet this poor psalmist will go on, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Who am I he- whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. And so we've got to get that right perspective. And so James, as he cries out against the rich, he is wanting the Christians to grasp this perspective as he pronounces this judgment over them. Look at verse number two and three. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasures in the last days. This is details of the coming judgment. He's saying there's really nothing in your wealth that is any good. As God looks upon this wealth, this is the spiritual view of the wealth. Now, the the riches weren't actually, the the, the garments weren't actually moth-eaten. The gold and silver weren't actually corroded um, as they looked upon them. But from the divine perspective, they have, they have been corroded. They're, they have no real value. They're going to decay and, and lose their value and lose everything. You say, but does, does gold really corrode? And um, That's a good question. It can darken. It can't corrode in the fullest sense. But this is the very point that's being made. Absolutely everything ultimately breaks down and loses value in this material universe. And they were trusting in their wealth. They were aspiring after their wealth and so on. And sadly, that will be the very evidence against them. This, this wealth, um, perhaps because of the fact that they have ill-gotten it, as some were pointing out the other evening. We'll see that in a minute but also perhaps just the fact that they're trusting in this and the very corrosion that affects it will eat your flesh like fire. In other words, you become identified with this thing that you're going after and you will suffer its fate in that sense as well. You have heaped up treasure, uh, God says, in the last days. Now, it's not treasure for the last days. That's not really the best translation in the, uh, the authorised version. Um <clears throat> It's more that you've heaped up treasure in the last days. I mean, the the madness of 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 heaping treasure. You know, I'm sure you've heard of the illustrations of of those and and the their their vessels have gone to the bottom of the sea and and they're discovered by divers many hundreds of years sometimes later, and you'll find them and and they have strapped to them their money belts and their. And and those things that actually dragged them down under the to their watery grave they couldn't give them up. And that seems to be the thought here. You're heaping up these treasures and you know, we're in the last days. Now that seems to be the last days is this crucial moment um that of this age, in the last days. Um, time is short, Paul will write. The coming of the Lord uh, has drawn near. And really his coming is imminent. So he could come at any time. And that's a characteristic of this age. There's no other things to be fulfilled. So so this is a time of, of urgency, of expectancy, a, a time that's overshadowed by the future. He's saying you're using that time to heap up money for yourself. How ridiculously daft. Uh, verse 4 and 5 and maybe 6 as well. Uh, we'll read that now. Indeed, the wages of the labourers who mowed their, your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So, having looked at the pronouncement of judgment and the details of coming judgment, he's looked at their grain and their garments and their gold, because I think that's the idea of grain behind uh, riches. But you can look at that in your own time. Um, now he actually goes a little further and he says, Listen, behind all this is are the reasons, the charges, if you like, that will be brought against you, the indictment, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. So they have got money in their pockets that is, in a sense, it's, crying out to God and there's the reapers themselves those that are the harvesters the ones that have done the hard work and and harvest time being a time of blessing and plenty the harvesters have um, the cries of them instead of the the cheer and the joy of harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth the Lord of hosts the Lord of the armies of heaven They didn't. It hadn't reached their ears. They had closed their ears and stopped their ears, and 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 just gone on and and been marked by fraudulent business practice, um, exploiting people. But God noticed. Let's remember that God notices exploitation, genuine exploitation. Um, so we keep that in mind, um, and and there's a time and a place to to call what it is. Uh, you know, sin what it is in that sense, but you'll notice more. you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury and self indulgence seems to be behind the thought of pleasure, self-indulgence, so here they are in their indulgent lifestyle and and he says you you've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter, they're not realizing the the danger. They're like they're like big cattle that are eating their last meal, and they're just gorging on it, not knowing that the very meal is 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 effective in bringing them towards um, their final destination, which is a day of slaughter. So they're in the very day of slaughter, and they're eating away, and so this solemn reality of 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 their self indulgence and their lack of understanding of the time. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. So this is their, their injustice. They own the courts, they, they execute righteous people even. In fact, it's the righteous person, he does not resist you. The righteous one actually, the just one. Some people think it refers back to the death of the Lord Jesus himself. Now I'm not convinced of that, but I think it's a nice nice thought. Certainly these people are of the same character. It seems they're they're Christians. He does not resist you. Interesting. James is called James the Just. Some people think he foretells his own death here. Because that's exactly what happened to James according to history. You look up Eusebius and those kind of people. They'll speak of how James was thrown down from the temple um because he wouldn't deny the lord and when he had was thrown down he still survived and and he prayed and he said uh, father uh, god forgive them they don't know what they're doing something very similar to what the lord had said and and so he does not resist you um is the characteristic thing that should mark a Christian in circumstances like this, uh, where they're being directly persecuted uh, for their faith in the Lord Jesus? So that's interesting um, that we see, but we see how how these rich people are marked by this um, this sinfulness that takes that reaches its crescendo in murdering. The just people. And not any old just people. Just people that will not even resist them. And so he turns his attention now from this denunciation, the miseries pronounced on the murderous rich, to uh, his exhortation, the patience exhorted to the persecuted poor. Well, think of this for a few minutes. <clears throat> Notice that as he's going to speak about the believers... He will relate everything to the Lord in some way, shape or form. Um, Verse 7 and 8. Patience in light of the parousia of the Lord or the coming of the Lord. Patience in light of the coming of the Lord. Verse 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And so on. gives an illustration in the farmer and he says, establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand or has drawn near. Then he'll say, not only patience in light, they speak not only of patience in light of the um, the praise of the Lord, but peace in light of the imminent Judge. Don't grumble one to another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the Judge is standing at the door, or the Judge is standing before the doors. It's as though the Judge is just about to step into his courtroom and push open the doors, as it were, and start session. That seems to be the thought behind it. And then you'll notice in the, the third little section, it's it's not so much patience in light of the praise of the Lord and peace in light of the eminent judge, but perseverance in light of the character and purpose of the Lord. We'll see that and illustrate it particularly in Job, um, the example of Job's perseverance <clears throat> at the end. So... As he speaks about them, you'll notice that each thing comes back to the Lord. How does the Christian deal in times of persecution and pressure and difficulty and under trying circumstances? Well, these are the things to keep in mind. Patience in light of the coming of the Lord. Verse number 7 and 8. Therefore be patient. This is the idea of long-temperedness. That's the word behind this. long tempered Brethren. You'll notice Brethren. Verse 9, brethren, verse 10, my brethren. That's why I've divided it into three, by the way. There's three little statements made and released to the brethren. Uh, <clears throat> until the coming of the Lord. So so James has in view the coming of the Lord. Now he was a very early, uh it was a very early epistle, um, but obviously he had an understanding from the apostles and, and from the Lord himself of the coming of the Lord. Now we know that, that Paul fills in the details Of the revelation of the rapture. The details are filled in and finalised in Paul's revelation. There are particular aspects of it. That are mystery. uh, That are a mystery until revealed by Paul. However uh, the basic understanding of the rapture. uh, Has come to us from the the teachings of the Lord. The Lord spoke of it. uh, John 14. Now this was part of of, uh, the apostles doctrine. It wasn't written down to the the 90s. Uh, John 14 we know. But we do know this that it was part of the teachings of the apostles uh, from earlier times uh, that the Lord was coming again. Um, it, so James will not go into the details, but he will speak of the coming or the parousia of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. It's important that we understand this. Uh, he understands, you will notice, its imminence, the coming of the Lord. Uh, draweth nigh, the old version has it. Uh, the coming of the Lord has drawn nigh, Darby has it. It's the thought of of the coming. The Lord's presence is just outside of sight. And along the the whole pathway of this age, however long this age goes on, the Lord has said, listen, I'm coming. You don't know when, it could be at any moment. The any moment return of Christ is so important to the believer. It's the It's one of the the cardinal hopes of the of the Christian. The parousia of Christ, the presence of Christ. Now this word parousia is used both of the first part and uh, the the rapture we call it and the revelation of Christ. This is used of both parts see 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 and verse number 8 to show that distinction now there are many other passages could be turned to there we could turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 and also um, the Matthew passage in relation to his coming which is to do with the revelation in the future so so this word is used more generally of the coming of Christ um, um, his second coming because it emphasizes his presence okay so his coming and presence, if you like. So it sometimes relates directly to the fact he's going to come to the air to take those that are his to be with himself. Sometimes it emphasizes the fact he's going to come and there will be a time of, 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 um, reward and the judgment seat of Christ and so on. That's emphasized in first Thessalonians chapter three. It also sometimes emphasizes the time when he comes forth, um, in revelation to descend to the earth that's uh, his coming in power and great glory um, it's spoken of in second thessalonians chapter 8 as as his the appearance of his parousia or the brightness of his coming in the authorized i think it is and that will be what is used for for the blessing of people and the destruction of of antichrist etc in that time so this word is used quite generally until the coming of the lord now uh, james is not going into the details he's just speaking of the presence of the lord and he's going to mention a few things about it um it will be a time um when the precious um maturity of of the of, of the Christian's life is seen in in its in, in fullest sense. And so he says, he uses the illustration of the farmer. The farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives uh, early and latter rain. Be also patient. establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be also patient. So if if the farmer waits, not only for the September to December rains, but also for the the April may or the the march April rains uh, that that mature the fruit, you also be marked by patience by by this long spiritedness this long temperedness be marked don't be getting frustrated and and don't be uh <clears throat> lashing out at these these tormentors as it were these 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 uh people that are moving against you in this very definite way just remember establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand it has drawn near do not grumble one against another there's a danger in this kind of circumstance that there would be with a pressure coming upon them from without that they would have friction within there would be a grumbling against one another a kind of critical spirit that would develop and brethren we all can do this Um, I'm as guilty of it as anybody else where we can start to think in a very negative way about other people and and we can start grumbling about them. And may the Lord preserve us. Do not grumble against one another lest you be condemned. In other words, you might be found out to be the one at fault. The behold, he says, the judge is standing at the door. The idea again is of the, the imminence of the Lord's coming. He is coming not only to bring us blessing, um, and to 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 bring um us into spiritual full spiritual maturity as it were the last little section uh to bring to fruition all the plans of god for us, but also he is coming as a judge there's a <clears throat> there's a lovely and solemn hymn that that one of the verses runs like this: he is coming coming for us you remember that one soon we'll see his light afar. On the dark horizon rising, as a bright and morning star, cheering many awaiting watchers, as the star whose kindly rays heralds the approaching dawning just before the break of day, and then it goes on. He is coming. Oh, how solemn, when the Judge's voice is heard, when in His own light He shows us every thought and act. word Deeds of merit as we thought them. He will show us where but sin. Little acts we had forgotten. He will show us. He will tell us where for him. And so just remember that the, the judge is just about to push open the doors and have session in court. The judgment seat of Christ for us in a sense is just around the corner. It's just the other side of the rapture, brothers and sisters. So don't be grumbling against each other. Leave those judgment things to to the Lord. Romans 14 is a good passage to look at in light of this. As he speaks of the fact that it's he who judges us is the Lord. You look at that passage in your own time. Now the last little bit. Peace in light of the uh, eminent judge. Also perseverance in light of the character and purpose of the Lord. This This little section at the bottom. My brethren take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience so he says listen you need examples we all need examples we all need to turn to the word of God and and turn to um Christians around us that are good examples and and learn from them and even uh, turn to the pages of history and again we can learn so many great lessons there as well um Take the prophets, he says, Uh, thinking mainly, I think, take it of the Old Testament prophets. The Lord referred to the prophets on many occasions, Uh, the sufferings of the prophets and and the tombs of the prophets. You remember all these circumstances um, where they they faced a lot of suffering. Just remember that that was their their lot as well. An example of suffering and and, uh, long-spurred, long-temperedness. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Now he's using a different word, this thought of persevere or endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He takes the example of Job. What a wonderful example he is. I mean, we look at the awful sufferings of his life and we acknowledge that we maybe wouldn't necessarily call him blessed if we've got the wrong mindset. We might think tragic, difficult, whatever. But ultimately, he was blessed. If we took, if we asked Job about it, he said, "I get, to, I've got to know the Lord in a way I never did before." And and the Lord we know remunerated him, in in that sense through uh, all that he he went through uh, and so on. We have heard of the perseverance of Job. I take it, it's not so much the long-temperedness of Job. Job said some things that he shouldn't have said. Let's be honest about it. You read Job, you'll find it out. But what is true of Job is that he always remained loyal to the Lord. He might not have understood it. He might have said some different things, but he certainly never turned away from the Lord. And so his perseverance, his loyalty, his his his. his fixation on the truth um was was a characteristic of Job. And we have seen the end intended by the Lord or the purpose of the Lord. That can be the thought here. It's good to focus not only on the presence of the coming Lord and the fact that the Lord is going to deal with the judgment um our judgment in that sense of the judgment seat of Christ. But also we're it's good to remember that the Lord's character he is very compassionate and merciful and his purpose is seen in the life of Job the ultimate life of Job whatever circumstances come in life remember that this is the Lord is very pitiful very very compassionate and he is merciful and he will be shown to be such ultimately so that was being a a whistle top stop tour through um this this little section that the the handout uh, will be on uh, the Dropbox as normal, and uh, trust that this will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening into Bible Study Number Eight, Chapter Five, One to Eleven, uh, Faith That Works, Reacting to Injustice. Thank you.